The book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy and chapter 3 is where we are going to be tonight. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and beginning in verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray that your hand would be upon the service tonight. Lord, we thank you again that we can come together. Lord, for this place that we can meet, this book, Lord God, that we can open up and have confidence in. We're thankful for a God that loves us. And Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So much so, Lord, that you had your words penned. You preserved them for us. Lord God, we are thankful we have them before us today. We ask now that you just bless again this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated at this time. And Steve, if you could just move to the next slide, and I think that I, I think I can take it from there. You know, since we use the Bible to determine our worldview, we must, at the very least, be familiar with its origin and be confident that we can trust it. And we talked about this last week, the, reliab- the reliability of the Bible and the fact that we call the Bible God's Word. As we know from the beginning, Satan has waged perpetual attacks on God's Word since his first encounter with man in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. And there, of course, begins what would be years and centuries and, of course, millenniums of attacks on the Bible since encouraging Eve to doubt the honesty and the veracity of God's word, Satan has continued to suggest the Bible isn't really what it claims to be. He convinces us that we have no means to verify the accuracy of Scripture, and therefore, we need not pattern our lives after it. As a matter of fact, Satan would rather we pattern our lives after anything, including our own emotions. And I guarantee you, he loves that saying, listen to your heart. Because Satan knows that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And that the worst thing that you and I could listen to is our own emotions, our own feelings, and our own heart. Well, the doubters are many, but I want us to consider some reasons that we can be confident in the Bible. And we're uh, going by way of review tonight. First of all, we looked at last week the reliability of the Bible. So if you have your study sheet... Um, and you didn't fill out your blanks last week. This is uh, the first one, the reliability of the Bible. And, of course, uh, uh, the next thing we talked about was the inspired words, the, the fact that the very words of God's Word, or the Bible, are inspired. Peter wrote in Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 21, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is that disciple, that apostle, that walked with Jesus, that lived with Jesus, was taught by Jesus. And he said, 
Yet the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So when, when individuals say, oh, it's just a book written by men, they're calling, uh, they're calling God a liar or the Bible um, a, a lying book. This is where the skeptic comes in, says the Bible is just another book written by men. Just another example of men's opinions, men's stories, men's philosophies. This, however, is both a misleading claim, and as we said last week, it's an illogical claim. The writers themselves expressed their inspiration. David said in, the, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. They never claimed to be writing their own opinions, their own philosophies. Sometimes what they wrote was contradictory to what they even thought themselves. And so we believe that the words are inspired. We also believe there are inerrant facts in, in the Bible, that the Bible is filled with inerrant facts. As a matter of fact, we believe the Bible is inerrant uh, completely and wholly. The Bible literally says nothing that errs from the truth. The Bible has never had to be rewritten or corrected. Though the purpose of the Bible is not to record all of history or to teach science, where it does state facts regarding history and science or any other subjects, it is without error. We used several examples last week. The Bible's voice on history, science, or any other subject is always correct because that voice belongs to the God who brought it all into being. So we looked at the inspired words. We looked at the inerrant facts and also the infallible truths. Fulfilled prophecies are perhaps the greatest evidence that the Bible is, in fact, the very word of God. We know that uh, men at one time believed that the earth was flat. And, of course, the Bible claimed long before we discovered it, that the earth was round. Many believe that the earth hung from something or rested on something. And of course, the Bible claimed many years before that, that it rested on nothing. Uh, so the Bible gave also details on the timing, the miraculous nature and the place of Christ's birth hundreds of years before it occurred. And it was right on every single one of those things. So look at the reliability of the Bible. Last week, we left off with the durability of the Bible, the durability of the Bible. So if you're filling out your blanks, I think we already have this one. But in our text, Paul reminds Timothy that he had known the scriptures since his childhood. We talked about this last week. Psalm 119, verse number 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So even though um, the Bible was written well, the Old Testament was uh, completed hundreds of years before Timothy came on the scene. He trusted that those Old Testament scriptures were God's word, just as we do today, as we believe also the New Testament is God's word. And that is because we believe that God's word is preserved, that God preserved his word. You know, when God gave his word, it was implied that he would preserve it for all generations, not just for those who were alive at the time that it was written. You know, many times you'll get a, a study Bible, uh, and particularly those, uh, those who are critics of the King James Version of the Bible. I know I have one of these study Bibles, and oftentimes I'll come to a verse, and then I'll look down at the notes, and 
it'll say something like this. This verse is not in the most reliable texts, or this verse was not found in the original text. Well, the truth of the matter is, we don't have the original text. God preserved his word through copies. And incidentally, Timothy, when he confidently uh, uh, relied on the scriptures, he didn't have the original text. Jesus, when he quoted the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and called it scripture, he did not have the original text. Of course, he is the original text. He's the walking original text. But nonetheless, he quoted the writings of the prophets. Well, the theme of preservation of God's word is a, is a theme that's prevalent throughout the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 8. God says that the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, verse number 24, he uh, repeated that very statement, for all flesh is as grass, 1 Peter 1, 24, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. They lived 800 years apart, and and yet, nonetheless, Peter was just as confident in the Scripture as Isaiah was when God had him write it. Jesus also perpetuated this theme of preservation. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse number 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So the word preserved. Now, last week, this is where we were going to pick up the manuscripts preserved. The manuscripts preserved. You know, when Peter, as I said, quoted Isaiah over 800 years had passed, Isaiah's originals had long been gone. God made sure that manuscripts remained so his word would be preserved. Remember, this is, the, this is in the days before Xerox, in the days before copiers. Man had to meticulously copy the scriptures. And, of course, the prevailing thought among the critics is, well, surely they made mistakes. Well, surely they did. But God, did, God got rid of those mistakes. We still have the Word of God today. The overwhelming number of physical manuscripts that exist today, it's astounding, especially considering they are all handwritten that they were all hand-copied. In fact, no other ancient book or writing has more extant evidence today than the Bible. In 1988, Time magazine uh, had an article titled, Religion, Who Was Jesus? The skeptical author, uh, Richard Osling, he wrote this. He said, how reliable are the Gospels? Aside from a few brief references in other ancient documents, the New Testament is the only source of information concerning the most influential life that was ever lived. Scholars generally agree that the four Gospels were written without, uh, with a, in 40 to 70 years of Jesus' death on the cross. In addition, existing copies of the New Testament are far older and more numerous than those of any other ancient body of literature. Did you hear that? This is a skeptic. And he says that 
Existing copies of the New Testament are far older and more numerous than those of any other ancient body of literature. Can I say this? It's not even close. Boy, as far as the literature of antiquity goes, uh, we can look at the next closest one to the Bible, and it's almost the difference in your house and the Empire State Building if we were to stack up all the manuscripts. There are so many manuscripts that back up the, uh, the, the New Testament. Copies of these manuscripts are located throughout the world, many of which have been preserved in historic collections. At the age of 16, Swiss-born modern uh, Martin Bodmer started what would become one of the, most, uh, the best collections of early books and writings. The time of his death in 1971, he had amassed 150,000 works in 80 languages. In 2003, the present-day Bodmer Library of World Literature opened in Cologne, Switzerland, showcasing his collection of rare, valuable books. Among those is a rare copy of the Gutenberg Bible, as well as some of the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament that have been found. Papyrus 66 contains most of the Gospel of John and is just one century after the time of the original text. This document dates from A.D. 200 or earlier. Another document in this collection, Papyrus 72, contains the earliest found copy of the Epistle of Jude and the Epistles of Peter. The books appear to have been copied by the same scribe, and the handwriting has been assigned to the 3rd or 4th century. These are incredible finds. The final document of note is Papyrus 70, 75, dated between AD 175 and 225. Remember, Jesus died around AD 33, and then the, the church would continue on. Uh, it's the earliest known copy of the Gospel of Luke and one of the earliest of the Gospel of John. We could go on all night. Chester Beatty was a British mining engineer who purchased a collection of papyri from an Egyptian dealer in the 1920s. His collection includes three more of the earliest surviving Christian writings in the world. Now on display in the Chester Beatty Library in Dublin, uh, Ireland, um, Papyrus 45 contains part of the text of the Gospels and the book of Acts. 46 contains letters written by Paul, Romans, Hebrews, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st Thessalonians. And then Papyrus 47 contains the oldest known text of the book of Revelation. Amazing to, to have these today. These particular manuscripts, among the earliest surviving in history, are especially of note because they favor the Byzantine or the Textus Receptus family. Now, if you know anything about that, you know that's where we get our King James Version. There are two different, uh, essentially two different texts. There are actually several others, but where we get the, uh, the authorized version or the King James Version is from the Textus Receptus, or the Byzantine text. Located in Cambridge University Library in England is the Codex, Codex Bizae. dates from the 5th century. It contains the Gospels and Acts, 
But as the unique feature of being a parallel Bible, having Greek on one side and Latin corresponding pages that, that face one another. Now, I know that this is, these are all just facts, but these are crucial when it comes to, is our Bible reliable? Well, in, in our courts today, it's all based on evidence. And when it comes to the New Testament, if you're going to weigh it and other uh, manuscripts of antiquity, there is overwhelming evidence that God preserved his word for us today. These are just a small sampling of thousands, tens of thousands of manuscripts that have been preserved for generations. And what a blessing it is to have vast documentation of God's word. You know, God requires faith, but surely he does not require a blind faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And when it comes to God, when it comes to his existence, when it comes to his word, he has amassed mountain piles of evidence so that we can have substance to our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is impressive. God not only promised to preserve his word, he's given us ample proof that he has preserved it. Remember one skeptical author wrote, Existing copies of the New Testament are far older and more numerous than those of any other ancient body of literature, many of which we do not doubt their veracity. The word preserved, the manuscripts preserved, but I also want you to consider the Bible as indestructible. Many tyrants, dictators, rulers have attacked and tried to destroy the Bible throughout the entirety of its existence. They have been unsuccessful. Uh, they, going all the way back to when Satan said, Yea, hath God said. Throughout the Bible we read, Thus saith the Lord. And the consequences are true. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, are true. You know, author Josh McDowell wrote, The Bible has withstood vicious attacks of its enemies as no other book. Many have tried to burn it, ban it outlaw it from the days of Roman emperors to the present-day communist-dominated countries, and they have failed. In 303 AD, the Roman emperor Diocletian issued an edict to stop Christians from worshiping and to destroy the scriptures. Only 25 years later, his successor, Constantine, ordered 50 copies of the Bible made and distributed throughout the empire. Of course, the religion he started would, hundreds of years later, ban the Bible once again, but nonetheless to no avail. The evil plans of one man to destroy the Word of God are fo foiled by another who's used of God to create even more copies. William Tyndale translated the Bible into English, even as he had to run from hostile authorities. It was illegal to have the Bible it was really illegal to translate the Bible into a language that the common man could read. And of course, we know why that, that was, because the prevailing church had many practices that were contrary to the Bible. And to have the common man reading the Bible would soon cause the common man to question this ungodly institution. And of course, 
that would give way to what we know as the Protestant Reformation. But let me just say this. We are not Protestants and we were not part of the Reformation because Baptists long before the Reformation were being burnt at the stake by the Catholic Church because we were already practicing the truth and preaching the truth. Of course, they were called Anabaptists in those days or rebaptizers as they like to call them. Now, after Tyndale finally completed an English translation of the Bible, and you can imagine how tedious that is. How long does it take you to read the Bible? This man, letter by letter, word by word, translated the Bible so that the English-speaking people could have it. The government bought every single copy that they could and burned them. Rather than viewing this as a setback, Tyndale was grateful because the sales provided enough money to fund an improved translation and more translations. He continued translating God's Word until he was martyred in 1536. By the way, it was less than 100 years later and we got the King James Version, the, the King James Version 1611. His ministry lived on and his work, as I said, was the main source, one of the main sources used by the King James translators less than 100 years later in 1611. As we can see, God promised to preserve his word. No man, no country, no kingdom is going to be able, imagine trying to get rid of the Bible today. Uh, it's not a matter of burning papyri or burning paper. Man, it's on apps now. It's on phones. It's on iPads. It's on tablets. It's, it, it's carved in wood. The, the word of God is everywhere. And it'd be pretty tough to get rid of the Bible. Not pretty tough, impossible. Because God's word has been preserved by God. God knew Satan would continue to question, cast doubt on, and attempt to destroy it. Satan has failed. The Bible has endured. And we have it today. The following poem was written by John Clifford. And I believe it is a great illustration of the Bible. John Clifford writes, Last eve I passed beside a blacksmith door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. Then, looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all those hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so thought I the anvil of God's word, for ages skeptic blows have beat upon. Yet though noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer is gone. And of course, I hope that you, how many of you know what an anvil is? You know, okay, good. <laughs> We don't have blacksmiths anymore, but it's still a great illustration. How many anvils? Just one. That's all, that's all I've ever had to buy. But it sure wears those hammers out. Kingdoms come. They beat upon the Bible. Critics come. They beat upon the Bible. And yet the critics are gone. Some of the museums are gone. Some of the schools are gone. But the Bible still remains. 
and praise God for that. The reliability of the Bible, the durability of the Bible. We're going to close with this, the capability of the Bible. The capability of the Bible. The Bible speaks to every area of our lives with power and with truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, once again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is profitable in our lives. First, for doctrine, it shows us what is right. That's, that's the teaching. Second, reproof shows us where we are wrong. Correction shows us how to get right. And then instruction in righteousness shows us how to stay right. And so every area, every facet of your life, the Bible has the capability to help us in every area of life. From the time that we're little to the time even, even growing old. And it has authentic power. In other words, it speaks to us with absolute truth and will always change us for the better. You ever had someone ask you some advice and you're, you're just kind of at a loss? Maybe they're going through something that, that you've never gone through before and they're asking you, well, well, what would you do? And there have been times where someone has asked me that in a, in a situation and I, I'll have to just simply say, you know, I, I really don't know. Now, here's what I think I would do, but hey, don't, uh, don't quote me on it, <laughs> because I could be wrong. You know, the Word of God never does that. The Bible never says, well, uh, try this. Even when you go to the doctor sometimes, and you may have something, you may have a, uh, a situation, and... And, and they'll say, well, I'll tell you what, try this, come back in a couple week, weeks, and we'll see if it worked. If it didn't, maybe we'll have to up the dosage, or maybe we'll have to try something else. But just give this one a try for a couple weeks, and, and we'll see what it does for you. Oftentimes, you'll see commercials where they are advertising a drug. This is a drug that will help lower your blood sugar, or... This is a drug that will help your uh, blood pressure or whatever. This is a blood that'll or the, a drug that'll help lower your cholesterol. However, and then they go through that long list of the thing, other things it may do to you, like cause bleeding from the eyes, cause gray matter from the ears. Uh, and if you have gray matter coming from the ears, quit taking it immediately and talk to your doctor. So what they're saying is this may help. It's been shown to help in certain studies, but there's no guarantees. But when it comes to the Bible, God says this will help. It's not a matter of call upon the name of the Lord and maybe you'll be saved. Hopefully, you'll wake up in heaven when you die. No, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's with all authority. It speaks to us with absolute truth. 
and will always change us for the better. One preacher said, an honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. The foremost purpose of Scripture is to bring to us Jesus Christ. Peter wrote, being born again in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Notice, you may be born again, you might be. No, it is you will be born again by, by not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. The Bible shows us the depth of our sin, the need of a Savior, God's plan for salvation. After salvation, the Bible teaches us about the greatness of God and our need for dependence upon Him. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. There's no area in our lives in which the Word of God is not capable to help. And God never has to say, well, this might work, but it may actually make you worse in other areas of your life. But give it a try for a couple of weeks. Now, here's what God says. Prove me. Prove me. In regards to tithing, he doesn't say it might work. Give it a month and then come back and see me. No, he says, prove me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there'll not be room enough to receive it. Try me. There's no area in our lives with which the word of God is not capable to help because of his authentic power and his authoritative principles. The Bible does not make apologies for truth it presents, even though some of those truths are very hard for us to receive the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword Um, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and sometimes God says things like your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things and God makes no apologies for making that statement Because God knows our heart even better than we do. God makes no apologies for saying that that, uh, foolishness is bound in the heart of every single child, even yours. Even your little angel. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. God makes no apologies for these very hard statements, these very difficult statements, because of the authoritative principles. If we take these principles and apply them to our lives, they are guaranteed to work. Each one of these principles has been tried and true and are for the good and benefit of the reader. God states them as a matter of fact. When God talked to Adam and Eve, he said that the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Satan said, well, that's not a guarantee. But Adam and Eve are gone today. Uh, They were kicked out of the garden. They died spiritually that very day. These are principles that are tried and true. Each one of them. God states them as a matter of fact. He makes no apologies for them. As we just saw, our text mentions four areas of principles through which the Word of God benefits us. Doctrine reproof, correction, correction, and instruction in righteousness. 
doctrine teaches us what we should believe. So why churches are to, are to teach the things that become sound doctrine. There's a lot of false doctrine out there, but the Word of God is full of sound doctrine. What we believe is what we will practice. Doctrine is the reason we can firmly state our beliefs, regardless of the changes in culture or the churches around us. Why do you still believe that when no one else believes that today? Because it's our doctrine. Because it's the Word of God. And the Word of God is profitable when it comes to doctrine. What we believe about church attendance doesn't change just because of the advent of live streaming. What we believe about marriage doesn't change just because the Supreme Court has redefined what marriage is. What we uh, believe about relationships, financing and giving, prayer, honesty, morality. It's still the same today as it was a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. It doesn't change. Studying and obeying those mandates will give us great stability in our lives. We're not going back and forth. Uh, We're not worried about what was wrong yesterday is right today and what was right yesterday is wrong today. No, if it was wrong in God's Word today, it's still wrong in God's Word. If it was right in God's Word, it's still right in God's Word. Bible doctrine is profitable. It grounds us in the truth so we are not taken by every wave of teaching, every philosophy, and every trend that comes along. Reproof shows us where we have strayed from the truth. We're not to get mad when we are reproved because the Bible is authoritative. Remember when we'd have arguments with our siblings? And we would go and we'd ask mom or dad. And then when they said, yes, it's true, or no, it's not true, we might get mad and we might get upset, but that pretty much settled it. Reproof shows us where we have strayed. Instead of getting mad because the Bible is authoritative, we move on to the next step. The Bible is profitable. And that takes us to correction. Correction is God's mercy. You know, when God corrects us, he's not being being mean. He's being merciful. When our parents corrected us as kids, that's not a good place to play. That's not a good thing to play with. That was mercy, not meanness. We respond to God's reproof, and Scripture teaches us how to change. And then the instruction in righteousness, it gives us the path forward. Authentic power, authentic principles, and it is a perfect process. 2 Timothy 3.17 That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect does not mean sinless, it means mature. God wants us to grow into spiritual maturity. This we do through the Word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2. So the Bible is absolutely reliable. 
The best proof of all will be when you determine to build your life upon it. And then you'll have the evidence in your own life. In 1908, a small group of people established the Gideons International, an organization with the goal of making a difference for the Lord disproportional to their size. A few years later, the group began distributing free copies of God's Word. To date, they have distributed more than 2 billion copies of New Testament and Bibles around the world. Uh, it was just a very small group. As a matter of fact, many times today, you'll still go into a hotel and you'll still find a Gideon Bible in one of the drawers. Every copy of Gideon's New Testament contains the following statement. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers, its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. So read it slowly, read it frequently. Read it prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Ronald Reagan said within the covers of one book, the Bible, are all the answers to all the problems that face us today. If only we would read and believe. The Bible is God's word. We do believe and preach that the Bible is in fact the very word of God. This book does not contain the Word of God. This book is the Word of God. All Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. When you need answers, go to God's Word. When you see unimaginable chaos on the news, turn off the news and go to God's Word. When you have a heavy heart, don't hibernate. Go to God's Word. Go to church. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you're struggling, go to and focus on God's Word. Culture's confusion and our own unstable emotions are not reliable sources to form our worldview. God's Word stands strong when all other counsel fades away. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Think of just the trends and